Well, again, it's so good to be with you. Pastor Dave is on vacation. He's coming back in uh, this afternoon, and so you want to pray for him and Luann as they travel. Uh, should be a uh, pretty great, uh, they've had a great week together, and uh, some much-needed rest for him. Some of you have asked about my family. We sent our two boys off to college this last week, and so uh, we, we don't need as much groceries now anymore. So uh, they started class last week. Lucky to tell you today, they have all A's. It's great. It's been a good couple of weeks for them. So we're excited for them and uh, looking forward to what God might do in their lives. Someone said, you've got one in God's country at Arkansas and one in Jesus' country at Washita. And I was like, sure, that sounds good. I like that. We'll keep that. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 10. We are going to finish up our last week in this series titled Bless, moving into the idea that Jesus was hospitable, and in that hospitality, he served people at where they were. And we too then want to embody that idea to serve people and bless our neighbors. Let me give you an idea of where we've been the last couple of weeks. Uh, week one, we talked about beginning with prayer. And we said, remember that God does the work. And so we pray because God changes our hearts in that. And we're reminded that not only does he do the work, but he opens hearts as we begin with prayer. We said L stands for listen. Listen for ways to serve. Listen for ways to love them and to care for them and to know their story a bit. Last week we talked about eat. It's not just the food, but it's the presence of relationship that is important. We see that throughout the scriptures of the idea of building relationships through a meal and in one's home. We said yesterday or last Sunday, serve was the first S, the idea that we're to look past their nature and see their need. And so extending the kindness of God uh, to those around us as a way to serve them. And so so this morning, we're going to wrap up with the idea of story. We're going to call the idea of what it means to be thoughtful and prayerful of our story. Inside your worship guide, there's a little card. I invite you to go find this right now because you're going to need it in this service. Now, in years past, we've turned in cards. We're calling on you to, to help us pray for those in your life that need the Lord. And this is a little different than that. We're, we're asking you to fill out this card, I want to bless, and you'll see a blank there with the gospel. And then identify them as a friend, coworker, neighbor, or family. You're going to put your name and then your email address, and this can be shared publicly or shared with pastor and staff. This is not just a card to turn in asking our staff and prayer team to pray for this person, although we'll do that. This is a card really for you as a way of commitment that you will bless this person with the idea of, of prayer and listening, eat, serving, and then sharing your story in a gospel conversation. Uh, we'll use this card at the end of the service. And so don't lose this card because you'll want to be able to use this here in a few moments. Today, as we finish up, we're going to be reminded that as we pray, as we listen, as we invite people into our life and serve them as our neighbor, we are culminating the blessing with a tool of story. Let me define story for you. To bless through story is 
to share the story of what God has done in your life. You know, many of us are great neighbors. We might pray, we might talk to our neighbors, might even have them over, but maybe you've never shared your story of what Jesus has done in your life, and then you're minimizing the blessing. Unless the tool of story is used, it's often the difference between being a good neighbor and being a gospel neighbor. Many of us are kind neighbors, but how will they know that we are Christian neighbors unless we share our story of what God did in us? I was in through two theater productions in my life. One a senior in high school, one as a sophomore at Washita. And uh, I enjoyed those experiences. The, the, the reviews were so-so. I mean, I had no encore performances. There's a reason I'm in ministry and not in movies. But, uh, but a play tells a story. It starts with a plot and characters. And, and then there's some sort of confrontation, some sort of issue. And then at the end, there's this resolution. Each of us this morning, whether you're here in person or online, has a story to share. Each of you are the lead character in your story. And the confrontation is sin. And Jesus, in heroic fashion, comes and takes away that sin, resolving that issue through his death, burial, and resurrection. You have a stage of the life of which you stand on, yet all too often we're behind the scenes, in the costume closet, up at running lights, instead of being on our own stage. So I hope this morning that you'll believe and understand that as a follower of Christ, you have no option other than to share your story. So how will we do that today? We're going to walk through four different kind of waves of thought this morning to kind of move us into the direction where we're going to commit together to be thoughtful of praying and blessing our neighbor by sharing our story. So four ideas this morning. One, we need to learn to submit to the call. We need to learn to submit to the call. In Romans 9 and 10, Paul is helping the church at Rome kind of understand how Jews and Gentiles, or those non-Jews, how they're supposed to come to faith. And so Jews are attempting to be righteous before God in the hopes of being in his good graces, to follow the Old Testament law. And Paul reminds the church, Jews receive salvation the same way non-Jews receive salvation, and that is by faith. Only faith. Faith through faith. Faith is a necessary reality, and our faith brings us to confess that Jesus is Lord. And all we must do is call upon him, and the scripture says that we will be saved. And with the heart, one believes and is justified with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. And so I want to pick up this dialogue in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. <clears throat> For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, if we believe that as believers, as disciples then it, there's an action to follow. Because we believe that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, there is a response. And the response is, verses 14 through 17. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have, not, never, they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, Paul in this section asks some rhetorical questions. How are they to call on God if they've never believed? And how can they believe that they never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone tells them? And how can they tell someone unless they are sent out? And so Paul in this discourse kind of describes kind of a, a meaty way of helping us understand the relationship between those who share and those who believe. If we were to take this section and kind of go in reverse order, it might sound like this. That Christ sends heralds. Heralds preach, people hear. Hearers believe, believers call, and those who call upon the Lord will be saved. This connection between those who share and those who believe cannot be denied in this section. So often we think that people will come to Christ by some other way other than our story. Yet those who are believers in Christ need to realize that God has sent us out to share those stories. And as those who hear the stories then are drawn to belief and they're able to call upon the Lord and be saved. The truth is Paul is telling us that faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Therefore, we need to understand the call to share our faith. Matthew chapter 28, it's the great commission to go and make disciples baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that, you've, that I've commanded. And I will be with you even to the very end of the age. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Go and be my witnesses. It doesn't say go and, and be my observers. It says to go and to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. We as believers know that we've been called out to share who Christ is. But so often we forget about that call, that command. And so here, be drawn to that call by understanding the connection between sharing our story and those who believe. You might ask yourself, why don't we understand or follow the call? Well, it brings us to number two, the concern. The concern. We don't share our stories because we make excuses. The enemy begins to, to whisper into our head and our heart that our story with Jesus doesn't really matter and therefore we really shouldn't share. There's a couple excuses that I want us to kind of unpack this morning. Excuse number one, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. You ever feel ill-equipped to do something you've never done? You ever find yourself going, how did I get in this situation? I don't know if I'm ready for it. Well, as a believer, when you accept Christ into your life, immediately you are ready. You may not have all the answers. You may not know the scriptures backward and forward, but you have Jesus in you that will speak on your behalf. You don't have to be a super Christian. You don't have to be a Christian forever. You don't necessarily have to know everything you're going to say. Jesus will do that for you. So don't believe the excuse that you don't have what it takes. So you're not a preacher, you're not a minister, you're not a mature believer. I'm telling you, if the Holy Spirit calls you to, to share your story, you better share your story. And Jesus will use that story to help others know who he is. Excuse number two, I don't want to impose on my beliefs. I don't want to impose my beliefs onto somebody else. And we live in a very political, very polarizing society in this time and day. 
And I would just tell you that we're not called to push people to believe what we believe. Here's what we're called to do. We're called to share with others what Jesus has done in our life. We're called to help other people know what the Scriptures say. The Holy Spirit draws to salvation, not you. God does the work, not us. So don't buy into that excuse. Excuse number three, I don't think my story matters. You might look at your life and go, what's a mess? Can I just tell you that God wants to use that mess? God wants to bless others with your mess by sharing your story. Because God is fully aware of all the circumstances in your life. Don't discount those realities. Some of you may think, uh, my story's not really a mess, it's just not very compelling. I grew up in the church and I came to know Christ and, and as a child and was baptized and my family was here and I've ever, never not gone to the church. I've always gone on, on the trips and done everything I can and so you, maybe your story isn't really that compelling. It's not one of those stories we might hear of a, a man who was in a gang and through violent crime found himself in prison and resisted three or four death threats while in prison but came to know Christ while in prison and was let, set free and become evangelists and many are saved because of his great grandeur story. Can I encourage you today, if you have a less than compelling story, do you know that the most popular ice cream brand flavor isn't Rocky Road or Cookie Dough? It's vanilla. Do you know the most common bought car in the United States is the F-150 or the Toyota Corolla? Can I just tell us that there's nothing fancy about vanilla or Corollas, but people understand the simple. They can relate to the ordinary. Let me tell you, your ordinary story does the job because Jesus is what, who is working in you. It's not necessarily your story that's going to draw someone to salvation. It's Jesus in your story, an ordinary story that will draw them. So often you may think, I need a strawberry cheesecake with sprinkles kind of ice cream testimony. I get that. The truth is God loves using ordinary, no-name, no-frills kind of people and things to get his point across. Don't discount your story. It may be messy. It may be ordinary. It doesn't matter. God wants to use it. So where in Scripture can we be encouraged about seeing someone who comes to faith, uses that story so others can receive the Lord. Turn your Bibles over to Mark chapter 5. There's several pictures of the Scriptures. We could have chosen several stories, but this last week, Pastor Adam, our mobile, missions mobilization pastor, is upstairs preaching in the venue, and, and we were thinking and praying together about today. We kind of landed on this passage of Mark 5 and this unique story about the demoniac. And it's a case where Jesus changes a life and a story is shared. And it's one of the most unique narratives of the gospel. You'll see a man in need. You'll see Jesus' power over sin and over evil. And you'll see a response to salvation. So I'm going to take a few minutes. We're going to read this narrative together, starting in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gennarises, and they, when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could help him anymore, not even with a chain. 
For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had any strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd numbering about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told the city and the country, and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had just happened. And they came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began, and he, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Now, this narrative is unique. There's lots to unpack. We don't have time to unpack this entire story, but there are four questions I'd like for you to consider this morning. What do you like about this text? What in this text kind of jumps out at you? In here, I see a man in great distress, and Jesus save him. And I see this stark difference between the man that was locked in chains, bound by demon possession, and after meeting with Jesus, is free from, those, from that possession, but in his right mind. This incredible difference between before and after. Second question I might ask you today, what do you have a hard time accepting about this text. This is unique. We don't talk much about demon possession. We don't really talk much about evil spirits. And the idea that there was legion in this man, it's not just one, but it's several. And the reality of, of sending this demon, these, this legion of demons into the pigs to run down, fall off the cliff and drown, that's different. There, there's certainly opportunity for us to kind of unpack truth within that. But as we begin to move through the story, the third question I have for you is, what does this text teach about Jesus? You know, Jesus is a man on a mission. He doesn't stop just because he stops. He stops with a purpose. And here he has a divine encounter, an intentional moment with probably the most outcast person within the entire region. This man was known. Many had tried to bind him. Many had tried to help him. But they just eventually let him alone into the cemetery where he would cut himself and cry all night long. Jesus goes to the outcasts, and Jesus completely heals this man. He doesn't toss him away. He doesn't ignore him. I don't know about you, but when I see someone in great need, sometimes I don't want to make eye contact with them because I'm afraid I'm going to be drawn into it. Jesus doesn't just make eye contact. He pursues him and is engaging with him. That's what we know about Jesus. And then lastly, what does this text teach us about people? 
You know, the scripture says a couple of times the people or a crowd, they were afraid. They were afraid of, of seeing this man and what he was doing to himself. And then they were afraid after seeing what Jesus has done. They were amazed and marveled at what the difference Jesus had made in this man's life. Now, I want to offer a little sidebar here and kind of step away for just a second, the idea of story, because I want us to understand that in this story, in this narrative, we all are like this man. It's not that we're demon-possessed. It's not that we have that issue, but we are at war. You see, the man was possessed and oppressed, possessed by evil spirits and oppressed by the dominion, their dominion in his life. And see, either you are possessed by your sinful nature because you don't know Christ, or you are oppressed by your sinful nature because you're not living and walking in your relationship with Jesus. And the difference is certainly Christ. And I believe as a believer, we can't be demon-possessed because we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus resides in us and is in control of us. But I believe this, as believers, we can be oppressed by the sinful nature that is in us. I think often we are bound by our own flesh, the desires of our flesh, the scripture says in Galatians, that these desires can grab a hold of anyone and often keep us chained or bound or oppressed. And I'll give you a little picture of what kind of oppression can we be bound to as believers when we're not being, when we're not allowing Jesus to control us. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, has a list of us talking about the desires of the flesh. And it says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And so Paul goes on, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so it could be this morning, as we prayed a moment ago about some of the fears, anxieties, and worries in your life, that maybe you have felt this oppression by the sinful nature in your life. That you're not walking with Jesus and therefore you're being led by your own flesh. And it could be that you're oppressed by that and you're receiving and suffering the consequences of that oppression. There are some here, when I read through this list, your heart is pricked. There are some here, when we talk about sexual morality, that you know you're struggling with pornography. The accessibility is way too easy in today's culture. And you know you've allowed that to determine some of your thoughts and some of your actions, and you feel the oppression of that immorality in your life. Some of you may be oppressed by strife. Maybe anger is keeping you down and causing you to make bad choices. Some of you are oppressed by jealousy, and you're caught in the trap or the chain of comparison to one another. Some of you find yourself a secret alcoholic, no one knows but you, maybe your spouse, and you're hiding all of that, and you're wondering, why don't you have the joy of your salvation? Could it be that you're allowing the sins of the flesh to oppress and lead you? So just as this man was possessed and oppressed and Jesus sets him free, you too can find freedom.
Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Why would you stay chained? Jesus unlocks the locks that are holding you back in the oppression of the sinful nature. But for those of you who don't know Christ, could it be that maybe this morning you want to experience freedom for the very first time? Jesus can do that today. So let's discuss a little bit more, kind of back to this idea of, of who we are. Let's go back to the case story, this case study. In Mark, it doesn't just end with a healing, but it ends with a story. Starting in verse 19. Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The man now healed, begging to be with Jesus. Jesus says, nope, you're not going with me. I understand why he wants to be with Jesus. He's just been healed. He's done something incredible for the man. Why wouldn't you want to be with the one who has just helped you greatly? Jesus says, no, I've got a greater purpose for you. My purpose for you is I'm going to send you out to your friends, to the people that you know, and I want you to tell others what I did for you. And I just don't want you to do that among your friends. I want you to do that among everyone you know. And so he sends them out. And the man goes to the 10 cities in that region. And the response is, everyone's marveled. You see, his testimony was incredible. So why not share what God had done? His story needed sharing. Everyone in the region would have known how sick he was or how incredibly outrageous his hardships had been. Everyone would have understood immediately the life change this man had gone through from, from being bound to being blessed, from being a man full of crying and anguish to a man who was calm and led by peace from all the wrong to all the right. And the result, everyone marveled, amazed, in awe, and in wonder of what Jesus can do. That's the benefit of sharing the story. God has called us to share the story, but now our fourth wave, our fourth idea is the idea that we're called to the commitment. So as we've understand the cause, we've understand the concern, as we read through the case, let's talk about the commitment. The commitment is in obedience to Christ. And in here in Mark 5, there are, there's a seven word phrase that popped out to me this week that I've been kind of wrestling with. And there in verse 20, it says this, he went away and began to proclaim. He went away and began to proclaim. Listen, my, my, my greatest prayer for us in this room, for those who are watching, is that after this is done, that you would go away. I love you, but you should go away and proclaim. Don't go away and go, that was a good sermon. I enjoyed my Sunday. That worship was great. I want you to go away and proclaim. Whether it's your classroom, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's your coworker, whether it's a, a family friend, go away and proclaim. And that's exactly what he did. His obedience was immediate. We see here the demoniac went away. No questions, no hesitation. He goes and he begins to share. His obedience was formidable. To go to places where the people were afraid of you and try to lock you up, that takes a lot of courage. He boldly goes 
as once an outcast to society to share that he has now been invited to the family of God. His obedience was God's plan to reach the region. Notice this, Jesus doesn't stay. He doesn't stay in the region. Jesus gets back in the boat. He comes, he heals this man, he's gone. I've come, I've given you this mission, you're supposed to take care of it, and now I'm going to go away. God's plan for salvation in that area was this man. There was no option B. Could it be that God's plan for your school, for your workplace, for your family, is you? There's no option B. Receive that understanding and be committed to the call of Christ to share your story as you're blessing your neighbor. This last couple of weeks, uh, one last week, one the week before, I had the opportunity to be in the hospital to visit some of our church members. And I visited two 80-year-old um, ladies. Uh, one last week, one week before, and as I'm visiting with them, it was, I was just encouraged by one who said to me, you know, I want my time here to, uh, to be meaningful. And I've never, this is what she said, I've never shared my story about Jesus but as the nurses and techs and staff come into my room, I desire to bless them with my story. Now, she didn't know I was going to preach this today. And I was like, that's good. She goes, I've never done that. 80 years old. She's been to church. She regularly attends here. She's a faithful person. But she's never been faithful to be a story sharer. This last week, walking to another lady's room, 80 years old. And she said, you know, her whole last several weeks, um, she's actually been in basically homebound because of COVID and some significant health issues. Her husband has some significant health issues. And we were talking about her hospital stay there. And she said, you know, I don't want my stay here to be in vain. I want to let other people know who Jesus is. I want to bless them. And that little phrase, I don't want it to be in vain, kind of stuck with me. You know, your stay in your neighborhood, no one wants it to be in vain. Your tenure at your workplace doesn't have to be in vain. Where you attend school doesn't have to be in vain. You can have an eternal impact on the kingdom of God by sharing your story as you bless your neighbor. Let it not be in vain. So just a couple of points of application as we close this morning. How can we help you frame your story? Some of you may know this, but kind of a, telling your story really is in three parts. And uh, I think you can see this throughout the Mark 5 passage. You can see this throughout other places. But the first thing I would share is your life before Christ. Who you were before Jesus. Who you were before Jesus. Secondly, how you met Christ. What was the environment or circumstances? How did you come to know who Jesus is and trust him as your Lord and Savior? And then thirdly, what does your life look like after Christ? Now that you know who Christ is, what has he done? What kind of change? You're the demoniac now teaching in the Decapolis, teaching in the region. They're seeing a life change. Now what does your life look like after meeting Christ? So now if you've got a little framework here, those three little points as you're kind of developing your story, where do you share your story at? Just a couple of ideas. Tell your story to your family, in your home, outside your home. Who in your life, who in your family doesn't know who Christ is? And sometimes those are the most difficult people to share your story with. 
But I challenge you, if you've got a family member who doesn't know Christ, I challenge you to share your story there. What about your friends? Demoniac was told to go to his friends. And his friends could be co-workers. It could be people you kind of are around, uh, people you engage with, people you know. Who among you, who among your friends needs to hear this story? And then your neighbor at home, at work, people in your life that you are generally geographically around often, let them know your story. I've been convicted of uh, my kids and, and the activities that they are engaged in. Often there are parents on the sideline or, or parents huddled up because we're watching our kids play sports or do this, that, and the other. Those people are my neighbors. They need to hear my story. And then the last person I think we need to share our story with is yourself. That may seem a little odd, but we need to be reminded of what Jesus has done in our life. He brought us from death and gives us eternal life. Let us be reminded about that because it is such an encouragement that Jesus has done an amazing work. So don't forget that in your own story. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. The question is, are you committed to love and bless your neighbor enough to share your Jesus story? Will you share your story this week, over the next few months. Because the tragedy would be that we talk about blessing our neighbor and we do all of the bless except share or accept story. So I'm going to draw you to commitment. You've got a card in front of you. And some of you may not be ready for this commitment and that's okay. Some of you are ready for this commitment where you're willing to say, I not only want to pray for this person, but I'm going to bless them completely by sharing my story. This is the partnership. As you turn your card in this morning, we're going to be faithful to pray. We're going to pray for this person's name, and we're going to pray for you as you commit to blessing them and loving them as your neighbor. So in a few moments, I'm going to invite you to do something maybe a little differently. If you're on the floor here, I'm going to invite you to bring your card right here and put it on the altar on the stage as your commitment to God that you're willing to share your story. Bring your card right here, lay it across the stage or the steps. If you're in the wings, you can come down. If you're in the balcony, I invite you to go to the doors in the balcony. There'll be some baskets and just lay that out. Now, the tendency is, well, I'm going to walk out those doors anyway. I can just drop it in. You can if you're unable to walk or you feel a little uneasy about that. You certainly can do that. But I'm drawing you to make a commitment to bless your neighbor by taking a name, putting it on this card, and committing in front of the Lord and his people that you will share your story.